All right, welcome back, everyone, uh, to the Space But Messier podcast. We are so excited to have you. However, we is someone different. Um, unfortunately, Flo could not make it this week um, to record. She's dealing with something, and she will catch us up um, when she comes back. But I would like to introduce to you today's guest host, co-host of the Mana Food for Thought podcast, and the Mana. The Mana. <laughs> And so it happens to be my wife. This is Jenna. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be here. Can I say that we're in studio? Because that just sounds so official. We are in studio. Yes, we are. It's so official. It's so cool. It's actually really exciting that you're here. I'm, <laughs> normally, to record a podcast, I leave my wife for an hour, and I am recording audio with another woman. But it is sounds a... Sounds weird. It is a... I'm stoked that we don't have to leave each other. Yay! Yay. This is fun. Talking about space. Oh, who's watching the cats? Not us. Not us. We got cat sitters. No, we didn't. Okay. A couple announcements. Today, the contest is ending. Uh, You guys have, I guess, from this moment, you have about maybe 20 to 30 minutes. However long this uh, podcast episode takes, that's how long you have to leave a review and enter the podcast, even though you will be viewing this or listening to this at a later time. Um, (laughs) That's not fair. It'll be released in a couple hours. They'll be good. But anyway, we will choose a winner at the end of this episode. So stay tuned. Uh, The winner will receive a Space But Messier t-shirt, a Space But Messier astronaut mug, and some stickers to take home. And those are all super legit and they look really, really cool. And I'm really jealous that you're giving them away. Thank you, Jenna. You're welcome. (laughs) Also, today is Pi Day! Today is March 14th, 314. Pi is 3.14. Jenna, how does that make you feel? I really want to go get pie and not do math. We can. What? No, this is an educational podcast. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> we can go get pie after. We can go to after. Okay. Okay. That's good. Um, pi is 3.14159 something, 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 something. But mathematicians, scientists, students, and straight up nerds, as some of us are, just love celebrating funny numbers. So, happy pie day, everyone. I hope you have a wonderful pie today. I wonder if you can make a pie. Never mind. Never mind. No, please. I was just going to say, make a pie that is only three. I, I don't know how you would do this. Does it weigh 3.14 pounds? Y- yeah, but like can continue. Oh, like the exact number of pi- the value of pie? I wonder if everybody's tried. I guess we're not going to sleep tonight. I'm going to try it. Wow, I'm so excited. Um, All right. Well, let's dive into the news. We do have an urgent update for you guys. Well, urgent for some countries. We did tell you last week that the Tiangong-1 space station from China is falling to Earth. It is hurtling to Earth. And it's supposed to land on a couple of countries. Um, A couple countries? Well, like the possibility of a couple countries. Like it's that big? No, no, no. Okay, don't freak people out. No, they know. I I don't know. It's okay. So wait, can you imagine if somebody heard this and thought that we were capable of building (laughs) a space station the size of all of Scandinavia? (laughs) That would be, first of all, awesome. I would feel really really bad about myself if I, like, if that happened and that I did not. Futuristic. It is very futuristic. Um, But we are here to bring you the good news that 
We're not um, all going to die. We're not all going to die. Only some of us. Nope, just kidding. None of us are going to die. Um, the scientists that are tracking the space station um, have finally released a statement that they are very positive that all of it will burn up in the atmosphere and none of it will come crashing to Earth. And if some does, they've noticed that its tra- um, its trajectory is um, set for it to fall in the middle of the ocean. So we're That's all good. good. Just don't go swimming um, in a week and a half. Yeah, sharks. In the middle of the ocean. Tangongs. Yeah. I didn't say that right. It's okay. No, it's okay. I've tried like 16 times to say it right. I can't. You have. Jenna, what is our second news story? So NASA is building a hammer. And when I saw this title, I really thought that they had discovered how to create Thor's hammer. And I got really excited. But that's not what it is. What is it, Tony? It's a it's a hammer. No. Um, <laughs> for those of you who um, are familiar with some of NASA's missions, hammer is spelled in all caps. And if there's one thing we know about NASA is that they love their acronyms. So NASA is building a hammer, but they're not building a hammer. They are building HAMMER. H-A-M-M-E-R. The Hypervelocity Asteroid Mitigation Mission for Emergency Response. Let's break that down. Mouthful. Hypervelocity Asteroid Mitigation. So something's going to go very fast, and it's going to mitigate an asteroid? Which is what? <laughs> Which um, I... My, Divert? M- destroy? Is that what mitigation is? Mitigate? mitigate? My degree is not in English or vocab. Mitigate. Wow, now that I'm thinking about it, that's such a comment. But I, we, you know, I, we, we looked it up, so that's good for you guys. Basically, they're going to put something that orbits the earth um, to smash any asteroid um, that is on its way to end all of our lives and cause the next mass extinction. Please tell me they're using lasers because immediately my childhood of watching Star Trek and lasers exploding things in sparks. Okay, so China is building something that will use lasers to uh, get rid of all the space junk, so all the trash that people have left in space. However, I think this one's actually going to use nuclear bombs. So okay. <laughs> the plan for this is to protect our planet from asteroids before they reach Earth. This project is headed up by NASA, the U.S. National Security Administration, and a weapons lab from the U.S. Energy Department. Now, there are two ways that the system can prevent an asteroid from slamming into Earth. First, it can hit an asteroid and knock it off its course and totally miss our planet, which I, I don't know if it's actually going to hit an asteroid itself, or is it going to throw a... Another heavy thing at it, not exactly sure. But the second, and infinitely more dangerous, is that Hammer will detonate an onboard nuclear warhead to splinter or destroy it altogether. It does sound like it's a suicide mission for Hammer. I feel like it's just an excuse to explode things, which is, which is great. It is, yeah. It's great. I think scientists just wanted a reason to blow things up. I think scientists just don't want to die because um, (laughs) asteroids are scary. If you ask Bill Nye um, what keeps him up at night. The science guy. Bill Nye the science guy. He's actually now Bill Nye the planetary guy. He is the CEO of the Planetary Society. But if you ask him what keeps him up at night, he says um, the possibility of an asteroid coming to Earth and ending life as we know it. But don't we know what is coming at our planet? Aren't we aware? We... We are. Um, And so we didn't used to be super aware. Um, Now that we have uh, citizen science in place, we have a bunch of other projects in place that monitor the skies for this thing. Part of the reason why, it's funny you ask, that they're developing Hammer is the asteroid named Bennu. Now, some of you may recognize Bennu from the news. Um, There was a mission launch last year that 
the OSIRIS-REx probe was going to go to the asteroid Bennu. Hmm. Now, that's a lot of kind of weird words. The satellite or the spacecraft, whatever you want to call it, his name is OSIRIS-REx, and it's going to the asteroid Bennu. Now, it's arriving there later this year, and Bennu is traveling around the sun at 63,000 miles per hour. And OSIRIS-REx is just going to go, it's going to grab a sample return, and it's going to come back, I think, 2023 is the expected return. But Bennu can be seen every six years from Earth. It's dark out there, so asteroids can't be seen very well, and it depends on if the sun is hitting it or, or whatnot. Um, but in 2135, it's expected to pass between us and the moon. That is absolutely terrifying. I will tell you that it will be traveling faster around Earth than it will the moon. Um, so it will most likely have its escape velocity to brush past the moon and not harm us at all. However, 130 years, I think, is a good enough time for us to start a defense system in case this thing decides to slow down and come down near Earth. So, um, Osiris Rex. Here, but... You don't think we're going to be here in 2135? Well, you and I won't be here. I don't know. Exactly. I don't know. Science is developing. A wise man once said... Nope. What? <laughs> that scientists believe that the first man to live to 150 has been born. Oh. I believe I am that man. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Chris Traeger. Okay. Um, anyway, who knows? Today's, you know, technology, <laughs> modern medicine, my high-paid income. I think we can make it that long. <laughs> right. We will not be here, but that is not our concern. We are doing things to save humanity. And for those of you who are also wondering... OSIRIS-REx is also an acronym. Yes, because it's of NASA. NASA loves their acronyms. It stands for Origins Spectral Interpretation Resource Identification Security Regolith Explorer. Cool. Yeah. Say that 20 times fast. mm -hmm. I'll do it. Ready? Not right. Origins Spectral Interpretation Resource Identification. Okay. Well, um, I normally don't like cutting or editing um, podcast episodes, but I just want to let you know that I just tried to say it 20 times and I failed. I think admitting (laughs) failure is okay. Um, I do not want to put you through that, but it studies origins, spectral interpretation, resource identification, security, and the regolith. So I forgot to add the commas when I explained it the first time. And the reason why they made it into an acronym, OSIRIS, um, that it works out so well, is that OSIRIS is also the god of ancient Egypt, or a god of ancient Egypt. So it worked out. So keep your eyes on the skies and listen to Bill Nye when it comes to uh, saving the world uh, from asteroid redirect. Or, as he likes to say, save the world's Yeah, or set a reminder in your phone for 2135. Try it. I wonder, will it let you? I don't know. Our phones aren't here. (laughs) Probably not. Jenna's very popular. I asked her to leave her phone on the other table. Okay. (laughs) So finally, let's get to today's topic. And I didn't even tell you what that was when we started today, um, or maybe I did. But we are about to enter into an awesome two-part episode. No, two-part series. (laughs) two episodes for you, all about Mars. So today is Mars part one. We're going to be discussing the past and present missions at Mars. Ooh, but Tony, you probably should talk about why Mars. Why is it so important? Why are we talking about it? Well, but why Mars? a lot of people are obsessed with Mars. Um, we're going to get into that. Um, I'm not sure if I have expressed this. Uh, this is not a popular opinion because so many people love Mars, but I just, I want to go to the moon. 
that's, you know what? A lot of people are really going to hate me for that, but that's okay. I really don't care. Mars is far away. There's so much radiation over there. Moon is close. I want my kids to be able to look up at the moon at night and see lights up there from all the things we've built. It's a natural stepping stone. Mars eventually? Yes, absolutely. Does the moon make more sense to me? It does. Mm. But why not uh, Venus or Mercury? Um, Mars is our closest planetary neighbor. Um, it's close in size. The length of our days are kind of close. We may even be able to survive there like Mark Watney did with That's potatoes cool. and stuff like that. But before we get into why, let's give you a basic rundown. Maybe you are a planetary geologist and you know everything there is to know about all the planets. Chances are, maybe you're not. Uh, so let's go over some things about Mars. Jenna, give us some quick facts about Mars. All right. So Mars is a lot colder than Earth, and its average temperature is negative 80 degrees Fahrenheit or negative 60 degrees Celsius. See, I don't even want to go outside when it's below 60 degrees Fahrenheit <laughs> because we live in California and we're chickens and we don't like the cold. So that does not sound livable to me. Gwydion is laughing at us right now as she's in <laughs> North Wales and it's, I don't know, way colder there. I um, just can't stand the cold. It's just too cold. Neither can I. But Mars is way further away and it has a thinner atmosphere and so it's way colder but if you go all the way so it's it's absolutely freezing um well far below freezing up at the the poles um however if you were to go to the equator sometimes it gets up to 70 degrees fahrenheit oh hey that's livable okay yeah I totally livable but all the water's at the poles so mm, so you'd die just kidding i don't know where the water is if i did i'd be a genius um yes you would die <laughs> very quickly did you know that mars's gravity is 38% of the Earth's gravity. Nice. I did not know that. Actually, you brought that fact. Yeah, it's a good fact. So the moon's gravity is 16% that of the Earth. So if you guys were to look at all the videos that NASA apparently made in a studio at their headquarters, um, where all those men were jumping and kind of jumping up and down, that is a joke. Please don't take that seriously. We actually went to the moon. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> um <laughs> That is 16% of Earth's gravity, so you're much lighter. Uh, Mars is 38% of Earth's gravity, so you're going to have a little bounce to you. However, you're still going to be, I don't know, you're going to be a third of your weight that you are on Earth. That's so that's nice. pretty cool. Uh, the atmosphere there is just 1% that of the atmosphere of Earth. It's still thick enough to support like weather and clouds and winds and stuff like that, but it's 100 times thinner than Earth. So you would die if instantly if you tried to breathe air out there. But you could move faster? Because there's not wind resistance? Um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I have no idea. Maybe yeah, you how, could. Yeah. If you had like a breathing system that didn't wasn't too heavy or slowed you down, then I don't really know about how wind resistance would affect, or how atmosphere affects that, but it makes sense to me. I'm not a scientist. I'm a theologian-ish. Theologian-ish? Yeah. Is that because your maiden name is Mish? Yeah. Nice. I just... Mm -hmm. Very good. <laughs> um, so if this is something I wanted to bring up, the last thing we said was that it had like winds and stuff like that. If you've seen The Martian, Jenny, you remember The Martian? I love that movie. Do you remember the beginning where he gets his his yes. his stuff handed to him? Yes. Yes, we are. We are a clean podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot of people thought, man, that's crazy and terrifying. We don't want to go to Mars because that storm is Terrifying. Everything in that movie was accurate except 
for the storm. So Andy Weir, he's the um, author that wrote The Martian. He worked with many scientists and researchers to double check all of his math, all of his like orbital mechanics, all the, the launch days. Everything he did was so brilliant for that book and that movie. However, there had to be something that stranded Mark Watney on Mars. So he created this storm that is a little unrealistic, but he admits it. So he owns up to it. He says he just, he needed to use his creative license and freedom to do so. Um, basically, giant dust devils like that, they happen often. For instance, there's like every five and a half Earth years, there's a global dust storm. It literally covers the entire planet. That being said, it is unlikely that these would strand an astronaut because even the largest dust storms could not even knock over heavy equipment. The winds are strong, but um, they top out at about 60 miles per hour, and that's about like half the speed of a pretty bad hurricane on Earth. Yeah. So the absolute worst on Mars is about half the strength of a hurricane. So we are a strong human race, and we've been through a lot, and we can survive up there when it comes to weather. That's nice. That's good to know. Yeah. Totally good to know. You're not going to have some scary windstorm that's going to kill you or something. Oh, it'll be terrifying because it's going to cover the whole planet. (laughs) Piece of shrapnel in your leg or whatever. Oh, his side. His his side. His in his side. Yeah. Yeah. So for those of you who listened last week, uh, Flo had not seen The Martian, and so I sent her that clip. (laughs) And we all know how um, expressive Flo is. She saw it. I'm sorry I'm not like that. (laughs) I'm pregnant and I'm tired. It's okay. (laughs) It's okay. But when I sent it to Flo, all I sent her was the storm scene. And she goes, oh my gosh, why would you send me that? Did he die? I can't believe you would make me watch that. And so uh, she sent that in all caps because that's what she does. She only really texts in caps because that's how she speaks. Yes. Um, Exactly. Yeah. The text telling me that she could not make it to this episode was in lowercase. It was an unfortunate text. She is sad. But she will be okay and she will be back. Anyway, um... One of the coolest stories that I've heard about why all of us want to go to Mars, if we're returning to this here, um, is that humanity was, their, their interest and their curiosity was sparked by a couple events in history. Now, in, what's up? Wait, my favorite fact oh. about Mars is that it snows on Mars, but it doesn't snow water. It's made of carbon dioxide. Whoa. Yeah, but it's more like fog. Not like snow time, like Christmas time falling. That was my favorite. Sorry. I just had to go back because I just I, you love know what? that. I asked Jenna to come up with her favorite Mars facts for this episode, and I did not it's like Christmas read on them. Mars. And she, she came up with awesome ones, and I totally almost robbed her of that. Okay, so it snows on Mars, it but it's like fog, and it's carbon dioxide, so we can't eat it. Yeah, that that's would, the downfall. That's the, sad. The downfall. ha, 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 ha. Nice. <laughs> um, Anyways. That is really cool. I'm glad you said that. And I'm sorry I skipped it. Back to what you were saying. Um, no, this story is super, super cool. And it starts in the 1800s. Now, for those of you who haven't figured this out yet, this episode is going to be pretty educational. Over the next, I don't know, portion of our episode, we're going to be talking about the history of how Mars came to be um, so coveted and so sought after, um, and then some of the missions that we have going right now. This is the past and present episode, so let's dive in. 
So, in the 1800s, telescopes across the world were rapidly growing in size, and in Milan, Italy, 1877, Giovanni Virginio Schiaparelli began mapping and naming areas on Mars. He named the dark and light areas as seas and continents, and he also saw channels on Mars and called them canali. Yes, Jenna? Cannoli. Cannoli, yes. Sorry. Don't be sorry. (laughs) Jenna's pregnant and hungry. (laughs) It's okay. Sorry. Continue. Um, he named them Canali, uh, and Canali translates to channels. However, us really smart and cultured Americans mistranslated that into canals, um, and that implies that intelligent life was on Mars because canals have to be dug or created. And because of the recent completion of the Suez Canal in ni- uh, 1869, people assumed that Mars had intelligent life. So in 1894, in Flagstaff, Arizona, a man named Percival Lowell observed Mars himself. So he got his telescope, um, he observed it, and knowing of the recent discovery of the canals on Mars, or what we thought were canals, or what we translated to be canals, (laughs) his observations confirmed that these straight lines on the planet were in fact there, and he mapped hundreds of them. That being said... He stared at that telescope for so long. Um, He believed that the straight lines were Martian main canals built to transport water from the polar caps to the equator. And in 1895, he published his first book on Mars with all the illustrations. And it was game over for humanity, for society. Everyone went crazy over this. Now, real quickly... People have studied thereafter um, because we know that there are not canals on Mars. I, I just want to make that clear. There, are, We have not discovered canals. We have double-checked his work. And it turns out when you stare into a telescope long enough, your eyes do really funny things to you. There's also no cannolis on there. There are no cannolis. Um, Which is sad. Yes. But. <laughs> it is sad. Well, not yet. There are no cannolis. We could bring them. Yeah, we can bring them. But after that. Science fiction writers went crazy. In 1897, Kurd Laswitz published The Two Planets. And then in 1898, H.G. Wells, he wrote War of the Worlds. I think we all have to read that in middle school, right? I actually didn't. You didn't? No, I didn't. Okay. In 1949, (laughs) Robert Heinlein wrote The Red Planet. Then in 1950, Ray Bradbury, The Martian Chronicles is what he wrote. Yeah. Your dad actually gave me that book a, a year ago, I think, Martian Chronicles. In 1951, Arthur C. Clarke wrote The Sands of Mars. And in 1961, Robert Heinlein wrote Stranger in a Strange Land. Do you recognize that title? Actually, no, I don't. Oh, I don't. I've never read the book, but if your book is good enough to be in a Billy Joel song, then it's probably pretty important. Oh, is that what it's from? And we didn't start the fire. Remember, he goes, Stranger in a Strange Land, oh, Daily yeah. Burlap, Bay of Pigs Invasion, Lawrence of Arabia. <clears throat> Maybe we should read that one. I consider that the first rap I ever learned. Yeah, we can. You can tell me. I will read it. It was. And I will tell you. All right. Sounds good. Uh, Quick note I am at the end of Foundation and Empire um, for the Foundation trilogy, and it is so good still. Okay. And then leading up to today, Andy Weir wrote The Martian in 2011. And so. All of the people that grew up from, we'll just say, 1897 to 1961, all the people that were born there or after, those are the people making decisions. Those are the scientists that are working on some of these missions. And those people want to go to Mars. So don't be surprised if everything is about Mars. That's my opinion. I don't know. I think it's so crazy that all of this was started just by a simple mistranslation of a word. Yeah. And it set this whole thing on fire so if we were not 
if we did not mistranslate that or mistranslate that, would we still want to go to Mars so bad? Would we still be like entranced with this red planet or would we be happy with the moon? I don't know. Probably, I mean, probably not just because of all these books that have um, brought so much interest yeah. to Mars. I don't know. Maybe, maybe something else would have set it off, but. I don't know. And we'll never know. So that was awesome. Um, next, I want to tell you guys all about the past and present missions we're doing at Mars. Now, there are a lot of them, but we're going to go through them pretty quickly for you um, because some of them are pretty rad and very uh, historically significant. Once again, if you do not like space, you're probably not listening to this in the first place. But if you're ready to learn something, then let's dive in. Uh, we're going to focus on the satellites first that we have there, and then we're going to talk about the rovers. So in the past, we've sent a bunch of satellites over there. Uh, the first ones we sent were the Mariner spacecraft. Now, these were launched from 1964 to 1971, and they were designed to be our first glimpses of Mars. Being sent out to Mars on a flyby mission with uh, Mariner 4 sending back our first ever images of another planet, and Mariner 9 being the first ever satellite to enter Mars's orbit. Now, I just want to just lay this down for you guys. 1964 is when we started launching Mariner missions. Now, these missions were going to Mars. We didn't even get to the moon until 1969. So we already had our sights on Mars before this. Yes, Jenna, is there a song going through your head? <laughs> yeah. She's like dancing over here. Ren Stevens. <laughs> In 1969. Not 1970, but a year sooner. <laughs> yep. Harmony? No. Okay. Sorry. No. Even Stevens extravaganza. Anyone? I'm sure you're, okay, you get it. <laughs> we were, we haven't even gone to the moon. JFK just uh, a couple of years prior said that speech and we're already trying to go to Mars. So human ingenuity at its finest. Very, very cool. Um, and then Mars Observer. The next satellite. launched it, yes. And it arrived in 1992, the year I was born, which is pretty cool. Um, and then they launched the Mars Climate Orbiter, and that arrived in 1998. Now, both of them arrived, but they lost contact upon arrival. Now, that can mean anything. It can mean they got to Mars and crashed. It can mean they just kept going and we totally missed it. Um, I don't know, but they didn't quite make it, Mars Observer and Mars Climate Orbiter. Um, then in 1997, we had the Mars Global Surveyor, and it arrived there. It orbited Mars, and it lasted four times longer than expected. You're going to find this uh, to be a, a really, I don't know, present theme with NASA missions, especially with things like the Cassini spacecraft and the Voyager um, missions. They lasted so much longer than they anticipated. Um, and that's why the NASA budget is really hard to configure because we set these missions to go for three, four, or five, eight years. And then we had to pay scientists to keep manning them because they're returning data still uh, 15, 18 Going. years later. And so... Um, Props to, so cool. Yeah, it They're is. making them good and well. They are making them well. Um, <laughs> so uh, those are all the ones that are no longer in commission. Now, there are satellites there that are currently still working and still giving us data. And um, the first one is Mars Odyssey. It arrived there in 2001, and it studies the composition of the planet's surface. It detects water and ice on the planet, and it studies its radiation. So Mars Express, it arrived in 2003, and it studies Mars's atmosphere and surface from a polar orbit. So this means that um, it's basically the Polar Express, and it's a train that travels yes. from top to bottom. Yes. 
<laughs> I wish. Um, no, this one is actually in partnership with ESA, which is the European Space Agency. Um, and a polar orbit basically means that it's in orbit around Mars, but it's going to fly over each pole. So the North mm. and South Pole in its orbit. It's not really concerned about um, circling the equator. Of course, it will pass it um, twice. But that gives us um, different data and different observational points and stuff like that. Uh, the next two, they're the last two that we still have over there, are NASA's Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter. So this one got there in 2006, and it carries the most powerful telescopic camera ever wow. to go to another planet. So this is why if you look up photos of Mars, they are so beautiful, so detailed. The only detailed images of a planet that are better are Saturn's, of course, because, oh gosh, if you haven't seen a picture of Saturn from the Cassini spacecraft, do yourself a favor and go do that. <laughs> Um, and lastly, the Mars Atmosphere and Volatile Evolution spacecraft, or as we like to call it, NASA and their acronyms, MAVEN, <laughs> M-A-V-E-N. Um, this spacecraft will provide information about Mars's atmosphere, uh, climate history, and potential habitability of the planet. So we're doing That's a lot over cool. there. Those, Think of it. Those are man-made metal satellites with computers, sensors, everything, instruments that we launched from Earth, they made it all the way to Mars. We slowed down enough to get into an orbit, and they're just, they're there. They're working. They're sending back data on the Deep Space Network, and that's how we know so much about Mars. No, that blows my mind, that people are so smart that they can make some kind of spacecraft that can fly all the way across or travel across space to another planet and continue to give us observations and photos and crazy. That's insane. If you go to the Jet Propulsion Lab in Pasadena and you go to the center of the universe, which is the mission control there, um, there's a wall that has a screen for each of these satellites and you can actually wow. physically see the data come in um, on the waves, like the actual radio waves in which it comes in. It's so fascinating. It's awesome. Awesome. Well, that's everything that we have sent and successfully uh, sent to Mars and they're still receiving data on. Now for the fun part, everybody's favorite part. <laughs> Are the rovers? Um, some just of you, so cute. they are cute. They are cute. <laughs> They've got, they are. Uh, they're getting massive, um, so they're no longer becoming cute. However, rovers are awesome. They do go very slow, but you know what? I'm going to save it. We're going to get into it. Uh, so the first one in 1976. Now these are the ones that we've sent in the past that are no longer active. In 1976, NASA's Viking one and two. Rovers became the first spacecraft to safely land on another planet. 1976, we man. landed on Mars. That's insane. That's insane. That is insane. Okay. Um, <laughs> another one is the Mars Pathfinder mission. In 1997 is when it arrived, and it was meant to be a demonstration of technology, um, and it had the Carl Sagan Memorial Station as its lander, and then the Sojourner rover. Um, so the rover has to be in a lander for it to land safely on Mars. Um, Sojourner, of course, named after Sojourner Truth uh, from the Civil Rights Movement. Um, however, they both ended up sending back 2.3 billion bits of information, 17,000 images, and more than 15 chemical analyses from rocks and soil. Pathfinder is a beast. And if you watch uh, The Martian, if you've seen it, I know we're referencing a lot, that's that one yeah. that he digs up. Oh, spoiler alert. Sorry. 
dang, that was such an awesome part. That was my favorite part of the movie. Maybe you should put a spoiler alert at the beginning of this podcast. <laughs> you haven't watched That the wasn't Martian. crazy. You know what? I, I know, but... As long as we don't say that, he ends up dying in the end. <gasps> Tony. Everyone dies. Oh, my God. No, we all... Okay. Okay, so the next one is the Mars Polar Lander, and it arrived in 1999. And this was meant to land on the frozen terrain and near the edge of Mars's south polar cap and to dig from water ice with a robotic arm. This is why I think they're super cute because they have like limbs and they can see whatever. Um, but unfortunately, it was lost upon arrival. Now, we do not know how it was lost. Um, however, we did come back to Mars in 2008 with the Phoenix Mars Lander. Now, it successfully landed on the north polar region of Mars, and it successfully dug up and analyzed icy soil. Nice. Yeah, very nice. And it's carbon dioxide, and we know that because we went back after failing. My favorite part. You fall down, you gotta get back up. Or you get lost in orbit or crash into the surface, you gotta get back up. (laughs) Gotta get back up in space. All right, so our last two... Um, rovers. These are the only two still on Mars. Granted, we're sending two more um, very soon. But we've got the Mars Exploration Rovers. So there are two rovers, um, identical rovers. They are Spirit and Opportunity. They landed there in 2004, and they searched for evidence of liquid water that may have been present in the planet's past. Uh, Like I said, they're identical to each other, but they're exploring completely different regions of Mars. Um, And I really like that because I'm an identical twin. And Spirit and Opportunity are... Twins? So then Mars's science laboratory, or also known as Curiosity, is Wait, like wait. Your Am template? I spirit or opportunity? You know Vincent. Shout out to Vincent. He's my brother. He made the super awesome logo, uh, Space But Messier logo that's on the podcast. So second shout out. Yeah. Go, Vincent. Yay. I don't know. I feel you embody both. Oh, good answer. Uh, but I feel like you're more opportunity. Really? <laughs> and Vincent's more spirit. I don't know. Well, mm. Spirit like the horse. <gasps> okay. <laughs> okay. So lastly, there's a Mars's science laboratory, or it's also known as Curiosity. It landed in 2012, and it's twice as long and three times as heavy as Spirit and Opportunity. And Curiosity's mission is to tell us if Mars is habitable. Basically, can we live there? But my favorite part of Curiosity... Not it, not that it landed on another planet. Not That's all. not your favorite no, no, no. part? Okay. No, 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 no. No, it has a Twitter handle, at Sarcastic Rover. Go check it out. <laughs> if you guys aren't following Sarcastic <laughs> Rover, then you're making a mistake in your life. We'll talk about that later. Uh, it has almost a million followers, and it's absolutely hilarious. It's good stuff. So check it out. Yeah, so that was our last one, and they are still currently active yeah. on Mars, which is so cool. So we're sending, um, we're going to have more episodes, or more information on the next episode about the future of Mars exploration, um, and the, our journey to Mars, and how we're going to send humans to Mars, and the next two uh, rovers, or one of them's the Mars 2020 is its tentative name, and then Mars Insight. Um, we're going to have more information on all that in the next podcast. Um, but Jenna. Yeah. We did it. Yeah, we did. Thanks for joining me today. You're so welcome. And you guys, you will get Flo back. You will. She will be back and her peppiness and her spirit and her beauty and her knowledge of space. (laughs) Well, all of you guys um, will be waiting for Flo, but you've all been waiting super patiently for... 
The contest winner! Yes. Drum roll! Okay, so We're hold on. We're about to decide. We're on the computer, and we just inputted Who all of the reviews into random.org, because this is what the Planetary Society uses, and I think that's pretty fair. Random.org. Do they really? Yeah, for their wow. contest. Um, for their podcast. If you don't listen to them, you can check them out too. Okay, I think they're done waiting. Uh, Jenna, if you want to click the randomize button. And... Our winner is Enun3. What, what? I, I wonder if that's your winner, real name, Enun3. Chicken dinner. But you don't win a chicken dinner. You win a coffee mug and a shirt. Unless you're playing PUBG. Then you win a chicken dinner. stickers. Yes. Uh, congratulations, Enun3. We will be reaching out to you to get your t-shirt size. And um, yeah, congratulations. You are our first contest winner. And Flo, I'm sure, is pretty so pissed exciting. that she is not here for this. So we may just have to do another pod. Uh, contest um but yes congratulations i'm super excited we did a successful contest it was very fun yeah um thank you for all those who reviewed our podcast we've told you once we're going to tell you a million times in order to get your name out there um we've got to get positive reviews and you guys have done that so i just wanted to say thank you um if you guys want to continue to follow us and stay caught up with everything space but messier all of our new episodes new blog posts everything we're putting out you can follow us on twitter and instagram at space but messier you can support us on patreon for as little as a dollar a month if you'd like that's so easy it is a dollar you forget i support you guys for a dollar i think or maybe five dollars you're so sweet that's so kind but like a dollar that's pocket change that gets lost in your pocket or in your dryer it does. Well, actually. Or it can be lost to space, but messier. Dun, dun, dun. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us as we set sail for the stars. My name is Tony. And this is Jenna. But standing in for flow. Because I feel like she sings everything. She does. <laughs> thank you so much, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Roger, Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. That was definitely an e-ticket. <laughs>